to All Invested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gabia, and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is kind of the unexpected late in life child of a family that is very beloved to both of us. We both grew up with the <laughs> Harry Potter books. What I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of tell Morgan what happened in this book and we're going to discuss it because she actually elected not to read it, whereas I had to read it for work purposes. I have very mixed feelings about it. Some aspects of this book are, as you may have seen online, strange and perhaps not so good. <laughs> I'm actually quite sad that I've already told Morgan some spoilers because I now wish that I could have left them all to be explored on air. But just to kind of begin with, Morgan, what's your like history with Harry Potter? Uh, we actually, this is going to be, this is going to sound like such a like dick comment, but my family and I were actually ahead of the, ahead of the general wave of Harry Potter fans. Oh girl, me too, yeah. me too. Yeah. We're both hipsters. I did not realize yeah. that we were Harry Potter child hipsters. Harry Potter hipsters. <laughs> so my mom's a, um, a history teacher, which I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, but she obviously works in a school. There are other teachers there, including English teachers. And one of her colleagues said to her, I think pretty soon after the first book came out, she was like, you have to get this book for your kids. Like, it's so good. They're going to love it. This is before it was a big thing at all. And so my mom got the book and read it aloud to us. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing like I've ever experienced. I made some of my friends get it and read it. And they were like, what's this book you're making us read? and like weren't into it for the first chapter I think one of them actually refused to read it and then later was like I made a mistake and then my best friend was really into it and like we got the next couple books from England through Amazon because they <laughs> the first couple like there was a delay in publication and my mom read like the first several aloud to me and my brothers it was this big family thing but I was like my favorite thing as a child like uh, as many it was the case for many yeah, of us I mean I we are like completely archetypal like mid-20s yeah. nerdy women so like when it came out when I was seven or eight or whatever I was like a total bookworm at that age I reread yeah. the first four or five Harry Potter books about a thousand billion times and it was oh, also God. kind of my first internet fandom because like as soon as I discovered the existence of fanfic and stuff when I was about 11 I was I was there and oh, I yeah. kind of, it tailed off towards the end, like I basically lost interest by book six and seven, so I just sort of read them. So having this arrive is like a really interesting moment for a lot of us, and I think yeah. there's this whole generation of people who grew up with this as their main fandom thing, and it maybe introduced them to like, I guess, geek culture, and it's still like this huge emotional part of their lives, even if they're like not super into that kind of thing anymore. And then having a new part of it is strange especially seeing as it's not within the frame of the original books and it's not actually written by jk rowling and we're getting in this very strange medium of it's a six-hour stage play that most of us will never get to see the staging of it is apparently phenomenal it got really good reviews from mainstream theater critics in london and reading the book is a very different experience yes. <laughs> uh and as some people have sort of pointing out which is obviously true if it doesn't work as like a text you failed. I am completely open to believing that it's really good on stage. Like I know several people who've seen it on stage and loved it and thought it was really impressive, uh, but it doesn't work as a play that I can read personally. And I don't think that's just because I'm relatively inexperienced with reading scripts. I think that's the broader opinion of a lot of fans who are perhaps yeah. like more into the series. And it's partly because of the content of the story, which doesn't, in my opinion, really add much to the whole idea of Harry Potter or any of the characters. And it's partly because 
you can really tell that it's not written by J.K. Rowling. Yeah. It's it's a fanfic book, which a lot of people have discussed and we can kind of talk about later in the podcast. But, like, it's written by someone who is not good at writing fanfics, so sometimes the characters don't feel right. Like, it's not really adding that much. But, yeah, before I get too down on this book, which, like, some parts of it are very entertaining, and it did not... I'm not pissed off at this book, right? I'm like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter to me. I can ignore it. Morgan has not read it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, this is true. Yes. And I'm guessing <laughs> that quite a lot of our listeners also haven't. Hopefully I will be able to share some of the exciting plot points <laughs> from this story with you just now. So, Morgan, do you know the general premise, right? Yes. And I've had some spoilers, obviously. So, like, I, I have a vague idea. But a lot of the details have passed me by. So why don't we begin? Okay, so <laughs> Harry Potter and the First Child split into two plays. You have to watch it over the course of an entire day or two days because it's five or six hours long. <laughs> uh, so the main character is Albus Severus Potter, who is Harry's, uh, I think, youngest or second youngest child. And like we, int- we get introduced to the new generation in the epilogue of the seventh Harry Potter book. And this is kind of, has him <laughs> as the protagonist. And he's got daddy issues, as you can might expect, because his father is like the most famous hero in the world. And Albus gets sorted into Slytherin. And um, he makes friends with Draco Malfoy's son, Scorpius. Which of course. Is, of of course. course, which is like very fanficy, but also like works really well. They have like a really nice introductory scene where they're on the Hogwarts Express, like Harry, and he, like, you know, Albus is talking to Rose Weasley, Ron and Hermione's kid, and it's like, oh, you know, you always choose, like, your best friends. We need to, like, choose who we're going to be with for the rest of our lives. And Rose is like, obviously, we're not going to be friends with the Malfoy. And Albus is like, no, I think I'll stick with him. And it's very adorable. And yeah. um, Albus kind of grows into, like, an angsty kid in his early teens. And Scorpius is, like, this adorable nerd. And <laughs> his dialogue is, like, it's really, it's really funny, but it's also stuff that you really wouldn't expect from the Harry Potter series. And on the page... Yeah it comes across really strangely because he says, says stuff like my geekiness is a quivering and I'm like what are you what? <laughs> like, that's literally a line from the play it feels very much like when you read a fanfic that has like really kind of poorly characterized lovable Draco yeah um and he's just and he has like a lot of quips and I do actually find him the most appealing character in the play but it's also like I what <laughs> um, like no one has ever said that yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there where you just like this doesn't it doesn't feel like naturalistic dialogue. Let's put yeah. it that way. <laughs> um, but I, I'm sure the performances are great. But so the actual plot of the story is propelled by Albus being re- very resentful of Harry. They have a conflicted relationship because they don't know how to communicate with each other. And Albus is also very isolated at school. And Scorpius is also isolated because there's a rumor that um, his father is secretly Voldemort rather than rather than Draco Malfoy. And the rumor is that. Voldemort used a time turner to impregnate Draco's wife. And, yeah, which is like, this is like a serious point. So like, if you imagine, there, there's like a parent-teacher conference, right? And like, Draco is like going to the office to like go and complain to Harry, who now works in the Ministry for Magic. And he's like, look, Potter, I know we're not friends, but my son's getting bullied at school because of this time travel Voldemort love child rumor. Can you please put out a public statement to say that my son is not secretly Voldemort's love child. And Harry's like, look, we can't make official statements like that. <laughs> How can I prove it? It's, this is what DNA truly, testing. It's truly be. amazing. So the, the thing that really kicks everything off is Albus is kind of spying on his dad 
and he see like he finds out that Amos Diggory, who is Cedric Diggory's father, the boy who died in the fourth Harry Potter book, is like obviously he's incredibly fucked up now because he's an old man. He lost his only son, and he's like, look, I've heard this rumor that there's a time turner, and I need you to use the time turner to go back in time and save my son who died because Voldemort wanted to kill you. And Harry's like, we can't change the time like that we can't do it sorry and albus who's over overhearing all of this is like my dad is such a fucking asshole like he doesn't understand how fathers can love sons he's like a cold hearted bastard so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna help amos diggory go back in time and like bring cedric back from the dead what? <laughs> morgan is just like what <laughs> yes i was like reading this you're just like this is not how i expected this one to go um <laughs> But this is also the moment when we get introduced to, like, the first truly new character in the play. Because basically every single person in the play are main characters from the books or, like, their children who we were introduced yeah. to in the epilogue. And the new character is this young woman named Delphi, who has a lot in common with Tonks, right? I mean, she's, like, kind of yeah. superficially, right? So she's, like, a fun, cool young woman. Wakes up friends with Albus really quickly. She's um, Amos Diggory's carer, and she's like, Amos is my uncle, and, like, I look after him. And they kind of bond a bit and she's fun and cool. There's a very subtle implication that he like might have a crush on her, but she's like in her 20s and he's 14. So it's, you know, it's yeah. not like an actual thing. And she's got blue hair and she's really cool. And you're like, oh, it's kind of Tonks' women. And then later on, before their fourth year, Albus persuades Scorpius that they need to go back in time to get Cedric Diggory back from the dead. And Scorpius is like, I'm such a loyal friend and I love you so much that I will do this completely insane plan. <laughs> <laughs> so they like escape from the Hogwarts Express, but not before encountering their most dangerous peril yet. So they're, they're trying to get off the Hogwarts Express to like go and steal this time turner. And they're confronted by the trolley witch, the woman who delivers the snacks on the Hogwarts Express. <laughs> and she's like, you can't leave the Hogwarts Express, obviously, like many have tried and many have failed. And they're like, but you're just the trolley witch. And she's like, oh no, <laughs> I'm like 200 years old and I have like a cyborg hand. And she starts throwing like, throwing like snacks at them and they explode like bombs. So like the implication is that the trolley witch is A, immortal, which is like a strange theme in Harry Potter, a whole narrative about how the villain wants to be immortal. So it's like, she's not human, but she's human enough to be like mistaken for human all the time. Her only job is being on the Hogwarts Express and like guarding it. Like what the fuck? There's like, no explanation for any of this. And it's just like, it's just so like crazy. <laughs> oh my so like God. people are just like if you look up like just just the phrase trolley witch on twitter it's hilarious because everyone is just like what the fuck is this <laughs> and it's like a small footnote before albus and scorpius um go and break into the ministry of magic using polyjuice potion so they disguise themselves and delphi as harry ron and hermione they have to go to hermione's office because she's minister of magic and she's hidden the time turner in her office inexplicably sure. like albus who's disguised as ron has to kiss her so he's like kissing his middle-aged aunt <laughs> to like distract her and then they get into the office and the only way to like get hold of the time turner is to do a series of complicated riddles i'm like why would hermione who spent her entire childhood breaking through puzzles and riddles as a child to like get to magical artifacts why would she do this instead of a hiding it like literally anywhere else in any other way like a muggle bank vault with a curse on it you know <laughs> or she would have just one of those simple magical spells where it's like you can't get through unless your heart is pure but no she's like i'm gonna do some poetry in like a bookshelf and then these two 14 year olds who like have never had adventures before they're just like 14 year old nerds get this time turner and then Delphi basically just disappears in the story. So they're kind of like, oh, we've decided that we should be the ones who go back in time to Harry Potter's fourth year and save Cedric Diggory. You should just stay behind. 
And at this point, I'm like, did they just introduce like a cool female character and just abandon her? And the answer, the answer, my friend, is yes. Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Delphi, with your blue, with your blue hair. Uh, she vanishes. Uh, and then we get into this time turner situation where they go back in time and they... It's quite difficult for me, for me to remember the course of the tasks, but it's like the Triwizard Tournament and basically yeah. they are trying to find a way to like stop Cedric from dying. And the end result is that they change the timeline which is kind of what you're expecting and when they go right. back to their original point and it turns out as anyone who has seen a time travel story will know if you change a single thing everything changes so yes. the world they go back to um rose weasley hasn't been born albus is they've like they're not in the same houses and ron and hermione aren't married um so like hermione is this like really she's like really miserable and bitchy and works as a teacher and ron is married um to padma patil and has a daughter named Panju, who I've seen people on Twitter kind of complaining about this because apparently Panju is like not a name that anyone has like ever met a real person who's named Panju. It's sort of <laughs> a similar situation how in like the Harry Potter books, the name Cho Chang is like a, a name that like doesn't happen. Yes. <laughs> so they've, they've like somehow managed to fuck this up. Um, but yeah, so they're like, fuck, we've completely like we've we've done this completely wrong. We need to go back in time again. So they do it again, but like instead of solving it properly, they're like, we're going to change the timeline again. And this time they fuck it up like so well that they actually end up in like this horrifying dystopian future. So Umbridge is the headmaster of Hogwarts. <laughs> People are like torturing mudbloods in the dungeons of Hogwarts. This is the thing that people shared spoilers for when the first early showings of the play happened, which I tried to avoid, but a couple of things I saw were that Scorpius is nicknamed the Scorpion King, and he wants to invite someone to something called the Blood Ball. And I was like, this is too crazy to actually be in the play. But no, in the dystopian future, Scorpius is nicknamed the Scorpion King. He's like the most popular guy in Hogwarts, and he's inviting some girl to the Blood Ball, which is a cool pure blood ball they have. And, um, one of the kind of best aspects of this rather wacky play that doesn't work on the page is like Draco's characterization is actually quite interesting. Like most of the older parents are kind of what you would expect from the books and it doesn't really add a great deal. Um, and it's sort of predictable daddy issue stuff. But with Draco, they do actually kind of, he's clearly the same person, but he's matured in like quite an interesting way. And he's not yeah. like, he's learned a lot and he's not necessarily like a massive racist, which obviously he is in all of the books. And in this kind of dystopian future, he works for the ministry and he's clearly like completely buying into this whole horrible thing. But when Scorpius comes up to him and is like, look, I need to do this like weird shit that I can't explain because I need to change the future. He basically is like, okay, I realize the world is possibly more fucked up than I was hoping and like allows his son some freedom. And I'm like, this is like quite interesting characterization. And then he, Scorpius, uh, discovers like the secret underground resistance. <laughs> Which is which is the of remainder course. of the Order of the Phoenix, right? Which is basically Hermione and Ron, who like also are not married in this future. So Hermione's like this cool, like post-apocalyptic badass. Snape is the third member. And by this point I was like, What? I don't feel like what? Snape is a good addition to this book. <laughs> I feel like Snape's story has very much been told within the confines of the seven books. But it was sort of like they just couldn't resist including Snape, right? Totally <laughs> like oh my god yeah and also like by this point because it's the next generation snape by this point must be quite elderly but he's still teaching at hogwarts and he's still like secretly spying for the order of the phoenix and snape basically <laughs> gets like he kind of meets scorpius and scorpius explains the kind of timeline thing and he's like look i just need to get the time turner and like get back they have like a sentimental send-off for snape right which is weird because it just feels 
unnecessarily self-indulgent to a story that's already happened and like and they already did that yeah and and snape is one of my favorite characters and always has been so like i love love snape like but they already like i know there's the whole like everyone likes to argue about that but like I he's I think he's one of the best characters in the books, but like she did that already. Like the, yeah. this was solved. Well, like, they still they they still have they still have it. And like he you know Scorpius tells Snape about Albus Severus, and it's like oh he you know Harry named his kid after you. Um, Harry's dead in this universe, obviously, because it's a dystopia. Um, and then Snape is like really kind of flattered because he's still <laughs> fucking hung up on Lily. It's like forty years later, right? But like they still put in the thing of him being in love with Lily Potter, who's been dead for decades. Which is like I guess by that point it makes sense that that kind of um obsession would be like calcified in your psyche yes but at the same time it's like this is weird this is like a 60 year old man talking about like a dead 20 year old woman who's been dead for decades and he's like you know but he compares um he's like oh yeah you know there's people who like change your lives and they mean everything to you and you'll do anything for them and um and he's comparing that to like albus and scorpius right which is the point where, like, Albus and Scorpius's relationship just becomes so, like, clearly romantic. <laughs> it's unclear whether they were, like, intentionally trying to do the sort of subtle, subtextual queer-baiting thing, or if they literally don't understand that they've written a story that reads like a really, you know, like a youthful, kid-friendly, gay love story between these two teenagers, right? Because yeah. that's literally what the Albus-Scorpius relationship is. They're, like, completely inseparable. They're really affectionate with each other in a way that, like, the other characters weren't when they were teenagers. They're really, like, yeah. sensitive. And Scorpius will, like, literally do any of, like, Albus's stupid plans for no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> and they're always, like, kind of, like, you know, like, I will, like, stay with you to the ends of the earth and you're, like, the one person I choose to be with if it's, like, the apocalypse. And they're, you know, also they're kind of being funny. But they're, like, this is, like, some deep shit for 14-year-old boys, Right. <laughs> And then once they get back to the real future and like reset it, Harry is like, okay, well, obviously you can't spend any more time with Scorpius Malfoy because he's a bad influence. Um, <laughs> so they have, yeah, this, yeah, that's yeah. Clearly <laughs> so because well, he's Harry has had this kind of like this um, prophecy where it's like describing his son as being surrounded by this dark cloud, and he's like, well, obviously that's the influence of Scorpius Malfoy, this, like, dastardly teenage boy, and it's like, clearly it's his misery and social isolation is the dark cloud, which Draco <laughs> eventually points out to him when he's like, look, my son is crying himself to sleep at night, they need to be together, and there's, like, this scene which is described in the play, but apparently it's much better on stage, where, like, they're in Hogwarts, and they're on the moving staircases, and the staircases, like, move towards each other, and Albus and Scorpius, like, lock eyes, but then can't be together, and then the staircases move them apart. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. And th- this isn't mentioned in the text, but um, our mutual friend Dolly saw this live, and she said that it also, like, mirrors one of the interactions between Hermione and Ron on stage, where, like, they're kind of torn asunder by... Um, future events obviously there's so much slash fanfic written about harry potter especially harry and draco and i'm like fine right like absolutely there's definitely stuff that you can like interpret but in the actual books i do not read the books and think harry and draco are intentionally meant to be a couple i think it's something you can read into it if you choose but it's not explicit and it's not actually particularly like it doesn't seem like it's actually a gay romance you you read the cursed child and it like it doesn't really you can you mean obviously it can just be like a really tender friendship which is like adorable and fine and cool but it also like very much also feels like it could just be the introduction of a romance between albus and scorpius right and when you think about the context of the other romances you have in Harry Potter, they're all, you know, they have like Ginny who has like a crush on Harry from when she's 11 years old and Ron and Hermione meet when they're 11. And like there's loads of kind of 
jokes about people having teen crushes and people who meet when they're like 12 and then fall in love and get married directly yeah. after school and it's just so heteronormative to have like the most ext- extreme example of that be albus and scorpius and then in the play there's like a couple of scenes where like oh yeah albus fancies uh fancies delphi or scorpius totally just keeps asking out rose weasley but she's never interested and i'm like what are you doing like this is such a weird like no homo interlude in this like it's so odd <laughs> oh my god yeah I'd seen online that like there that it was like pretty gay, but that's that's beyond like yeah, staircases. Like, it's, it's really weird, love. right? Because I don't really associate stuff like queer baiting with something like Harry Potter. I associate it with like action movies made by Guy Ritchie, right? Yeah, like Sherlock. You know, that's yes. what I associate. I don't associate it with like J.K. Rowling's stage plays. <laughs> <laughs> or Harry Potter in general, right? Like, Harry Potter definitely has, like, a problem with not including any queer characters, but, like, this is, yeah, it's totally, I find, strange. But anyway, yeah. so, like, the final kind of acts of the play are the discovery that actually Delphi has been manipulating um, Albus and Scorpius all along, right, with her wiles, of, of course. course. Kind of entering her into really the territory of, like, when they introduce, like, an evil, sexy punk girl into Harry Potter fanfic, which is, like, a very, very popular, like, shitty trope from, like, you know, when you're not that great at writing yet and you're, like, 12, right? It's what everyone wrote. Um, And she's, like, it's Voldemort's daughter! And so, like, during (laughs) the, like, kind of latter Harry Potter books at some point, Bellatrix Lestrange was impregnated by Voldemort and had this child, Delphi, who was then raised (laughs) outside of Hogwarts so no one's aware of her for, like, years. And was all isolated. And now, like, her motivation, tying in with the overall theme of the daddy issues in the play, her motivation is that she wants to go back in time and meet Voldemort, her father. The time she's going to be doing that will be October 31st, uh, 1981, which is Harry Potter's, um, like, when when his parents were killed, right, by Voldemort. She'd be absolutely sure that Voldemort would be there at Godric's Hollow. Albus and Scorpius go back there and they're like well fuck we can't do anything like delphi then like snaps their wands and they're like well we're stuck in history now so what are we gonna do so like they decide to send a secret message to the future and they write it on harry's baby blanket because in the future harry gives his baby blanket as a gift to albus and then albus spills a potion on it which by the way is the worst subplot in the whole play because ron as like a welcome back to hogwarts 14 year old nephew gift gives albus a bottle of love potion right and i'm like love potions are date rape drugs (laughs) why are you giving this to your 14 year old nephew albus is just like oh it's a weird joke from my funny uncle and then later in the play ron comments that he's seen albus with delphi and it's like oh it's good to see that my love potion has been used for good use to get him to seduce this like 25 year old woman and it's like what the fuck this makes ron weasley seem really rapey it doesn't it's not characterful and it really doesn't understand like the dangers of love potions, right? Because in the same story, right, Voldemort's mother used a love potion to bewitch a muggle who she then had sex with, and then she basically held him captive under this love potion um, until she was pregnant with Voldemort. And then, assuming that this man was now properly in love with her, she stopped drugging him. And then he immediately left her and was like, what the fuck, I was bewitched, yeah. right? So, like, Voldemort's mother is a rapist. It's definitely not, like, a fun joke thing. No. But, like, it's really inconsistent, and it's a weird detail because... The love potion never actually gets used for its intended purpose. It's just there because it has, an ina- it has an active ingredient that can act like invisible ink when they write on the baby blanket, which then materializes in the future with Harry and Ginny. And like Harry and Ginny are looking at this baby blanket like, what's this message? Hello, Dad? Help? It says help. We've got to go back. And so they like magically, it turns out there's also a second time turner. So they use the second time <laughs> turner to go back in time. So they're like 
every fucking person is hanging around Godric's Hollow when Voldemort's about to kill James and Lily Potter. I I don't even know what to say to this. This well, is just <laughs> Continue, please. Yes. So, Please. obviously, because, like, Scorpius is there as well, Draco is there, so they've kind of put aside their differences, which is actually done in a pretty good way. I think, like, Draco is, like, really the, the main high point of, like, the character development they have, because the rest of the stuff is basically quite predictable. But, like, Draco and Harry and Ron and stuff kind of put aside their differences and go back into the past together, and they're like, well, we have to, like, distract Delphi somehow without Lily and James finding out, because we can't change the course of history and we can't do anything. Um, so the plan they come up with, in fact, I want you to guess what the plan they come up with is. I have, I could not even begin to guess. Yes, you couldn't guess, because it's literally (laughs) the fucking craziest plan you could possibly conceive of. They're like, well, we know what, we know what Delphi wants. She really wants to meet Voldemort, her dad. So what we're going to do is we'll have to transform one of us into Voldemort. What? What? Yes, Morgan. Yes, yes, yes. So they have like this amazing little conversation about which one of them should turn into Voldemort, right? And Ron is like, okay, I am like the least intense of all of us. I will be the least psychologically damaged because I don't actually care that much. And all of you guys have a lot of, <laughs> of issues. So I should be Voldemort. And Harry's like, no, I think clearly it's got to be me. So it's like, it's got to be Harry. And Jenny obviously is really fucked up about this because she was creeped on by Voldemort when she was 11. But like most of the books tend to sort of forget that. But it was like yeah. an interesting, nice little character point. Um, so like he transforms himself into Voldemort and has to like pretend to be Voldemort and hang out with Delphi, which works for like about one second because he like starts transforming back and then she's like then they have like a duel. Um, the end result is that like they defeat her or whatever and then they go back to the future and everything's fine and they sort of heal their relationships and whatever and it sort of ends with like a hint that Scorpius might one day be able to get a date with Rose Weasley and it's just like what just happened? <laughs> oh. My God, what I what? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I don't understand why you would come up with any of this. Like, so so obviously, right? What? This is very different on stage. It's also different. I mean, I'm I am not exaggerating anything for effect. This is 100% what happens in the play. But like, it does sound kind of stupid when you describe it, right? But, yes yes <laughs> but it like does. it's also like the thing that really frustrates me is that like well there's two things obviously the first is that like the whole thing is predicated on revisiting familiar scenarios right um yeah it just literally sounds like a remix of... yeah yeah which is like yeah. not something that i feel is necessary from canon right because there's things you know like fan even in fanfic people aren't particularly interested in revisiting familiar scenarios because everyone already knows the canon so well that it's not interesting right and if you're exploring an alternate universe it's also pointless because it feels fan fiction because it doesn't feel official because it's not the main universe so it doesn't seem like it has very much impact and in terms of exploring the main characters like it's nice to meet characters like albus and scorpius but it's not like we don't really get that much material about any of the characters we really liked before like draco is the only one who really gets much development and everyone else is things that you could really already predict from reading the books how they'd end up and it's also i mean this is like more of a personal thing but it's not very emotionally interesting after like the seven books which are so intense and work so well as a self-contained story to be put in this position where like all of the characters you love are like boring middle-aged people (laughs) right (laughs) it's not like they're not doing anything and like 
you know, I think it's, there's some nice touches. Like, I, I quite like the idea of Harry, like, not really understanding how to interact with Albus because, like, he doesn't understand why someone would, like, see him as a hero if they know him. It's like, it's, you know, that's that's reasonable characterization. But, like, it's not adding anything. And, like, it, when you look at kind of the smaller details, like, in the books, J.K. Rowling is so detail-oriented. There's, like, so many cool little, like, characterization touches that are always really interesting and kind of help you understand things more. And also, like, tons of world-building stuff. Which yeah. just doesn't work in this because I'm not sure exactly how they worked, how they workshopped it. But J.K. Rowling provided the general story, then the playwright Jack Thorne wrote it, and then the staging was obviously like done by the director John Tiffany, I think his name is, right? Um, and like it's just missing all of the detail when you're reading the script that you get in terms of world building in the books. And I think that that like comes across in the staging because people are like, it's such a magical experience, like it feels real, but fuck right like yeah <laughs> there's even like even kind of stuff like dialogue like a lot of it doesn't feel like the characters or it's just like not appropriate yes <laughs> well that's also the problem with switching to a play when you're coming from a book and obviously they did films like it's not like if you have a book it's sacred and then you can't do another medium but the difference with the film is that everyone sees the film and so you get the texture and like the detail if it's done correctly. Whereas with a play, most of the people are going to be experiencing it on the page. So if everything else about it were brilliant, it wouldn't matter as much. But in this case, it sounds like that's maybe not so much the case. So, and also like what's so, I think possibly the best thing about those books actually is the fact that she so understands how, like, teenagers work and their relationships, right? Like, those three central characters have, a, like, that's how teenagers are. And, like, the way they interact with each other is very typical. Um, and with the exception of, like, Ron and Hermione, not really romantic at all, um, which I think is part of what makes it so compelling like that it's just it feels like normal um but if you throw in the like weird queer baiting stuff it's that's such a boring thing to do like unless you actually do a romance but that's not like uh, just, i haven't read it obviously but i don't understand like why why do any of this i uh... i mean i actually so i actually just finished a piece that's probably been published by now we can put it in the show notes but it was kind of looking at the ways in which this book really shares a ton of similarities with fanfic but not necessarily great stuff so sort of yeah. you see a fanfic that's like it's okay but it's not super great and when they things like you know there's they try world building stuff like the trolley witch which is just way too out there and doesn't fit yeah and like characterization that's off and like relationships that aren't that great and then just this sort of unimaginative idea of revisiting old scenarios it feels like someone who's not written fanfic right because people who write fanfic have an incredibly obsessive knowledge really deep down of the way the characters are and the way the world works and like the whole tone yep. and then they put that in like a new scenario of some kind like for the really yep. popular ones anyway like a good fanfic has everything down perfectly and then like changes the scenario and this didn't do either of those things and it kind of reminded me of all of the reboots that are happening in hollywood now right now which i realize yep. is like a really think pc opinion like it's very think pc but it's also true because it's like Jurassic World, 
like Star Trek Beyond and and uh, like Star Wars: The Force Awakens, all of them are like relying super heavily on really familiar scenarios that they're sort of remixing yep. a bit. And some of them are better than others, right? Like some of them literally just lift stuff, and it's just like really unsatisfying. And that is kind of how this feels. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking as you were describing it about Star Wars, which I loved. Like I thought that was the best blockbuster I've seen possibly in years. Yeah. But they're repeating the first star wars movie in a plot sense but the difference there is that they take the like the characters they put into it are very different in a lot of ways and so the sort of like remix works because they're adding enough different elements that it's fine but what i think we were saying after that and a lot of other people were saying was that like for the first one that works okay because they're kind of reintroducing it everyone has a lot of nostalgia but for the next movie if they do that again, that won't be okay, right? Because they have to sort of do something new. But you're right, that is a trend that it's so boring. It's just so dull. And obviously this ties into the general trend of like rebooting and remaking stuff in general, which is boring. But if you're going to do it, at least like add something. <laughs> like as opposed to just like reusing old scenarios like the the riddle thing right like wh why it's pure nostalgia yeah the, like, the riddle thing like when i was reading it i like didn't really care but then as soon as i finished the book i was just like this is like not just an unnecessary scene but it's really easy to understand why it's there because it's like you really wanted to include like a cool riddle scene which happens in several of the books where they get to solve a puzzle but when it's hermione who's like putting the riddle there it just makes no fucking sense right because she could break them so at, at I mean, she would age. have a more efficient security system. <laughs> right, exactly. And the, like, Snape, you wouldn't. Pure self-indulgence. Right, come on. Like, that's not. And that's sort of the thing about, like, uh, people talk about, like, giving the fans what they think they want versus what they actually want, except that I don't think even the fans think they want that. Like, no one wants that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Harry Potter fandom is so big. There's such a huge contingent of Harry Potter fans who are, like, not especially interested in, you know, having deep discussions about the canon or whatever. Um, that, like, obviously, tons and tons of people are going to fucking love this book and this play, which is, like, cool. oh. like, I mean, I am happy for, like, everyone who enjoyed it. But fundamentally, it's kind of unnecessary. Like, we will be puzzling for years to come the kind of psychology behind why it happened this way, because obviously J.K. Rowling does not need to like publish anything else ever she doesn't need to sell anything but like she obviously wants to continue writing because she's a writer um but what was the purpose behind this play right because she didn't make it herself right she came up with the idea and was kind of involved creatively but fundamentally it's like not her play it isn't as good <laughs> right i just i mean it's sort of this thing like she clearly can't let go mm -hmm. of this which and makes I... sense because like of course not like anyone would be in that position right and it's so funny, like, after that last book, she said, like, I'm out, which makes sense, because it was so life-consuming for so many years. And everyone was like, no, right? Like, we just want another one. She was like, no, <laughs> like, get me out of here. And now we have more stuff, and people don't want it. <laughs> like, and yeah, it's basically a punchline, all the jokes where it's like, oh, J.K. Rowling tweeted today that secretly, like, you know, Snape had rollerblades on under his under his under his cape all the time, and he's just rollerblading everywhere. It's like that's literally kind of what it's like. And like also because we have Pottermore now, like it's where she stores like all of the excess canon information. 
once this was released, like she had to remove the page on Time Turners and like change it because the canon of Time Turners is fundamentally changed. And also like she previously yeah. kind of said something about it not being a particularly interesting plot device. <laughs> and it's like, well, I'm just going to kind of gently uh, walk that one back. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's it's making it's making me even more like trepidatious about the Fantastic Beasts movie, right? Because the Fantastic Beasts movie obviously is not going to be a retread. It's going to be something completely different. It's a different time period. It's completely different characters. Um, but like the fact that this play turned out the way it did just makes me more pessimistic about J.K. Rowling's um, kind of reaction to criticism. Because like the yeah. number one criticism there is for Fantastic Beasts is that it's like just all about white people and it's set in like Jazz Age New York, and she's aware of the criticism because like she replies to it and she's been replying to it on social media and discussing it and also like was very kind of um outspoken about how great it was that they cast a black actress as hermione in this play but then like the movie is still the way it is right so (laughs) we'll fucking see yeah i also there was like a recent trailer for that that i thought like i just watched it and like maybe the movie will be great i'm sure a lot of people as we were saying about this will enjoy it a lot I just watched that trailer and I was like, this looks so fucking boring. <laughs> like, the only interesting thing in that trailer for me was Colin Farrell, who didn't speak, but just looked interesting, as he always does. It's kind of like the like, Hobbit, right? So it's like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which at some point we're definitely going to do an episode on, is a masterpiece. Yeah. It aged really well. It's an incredible work of cinema. It's a really good adaptation of a book that loads of people love, and it's widely regarded to be amazing. And then they decided to make a Hobbit movie, and like... If it had been one Hobbit movie, especially if it had been one Hobbit movie directed by Del Toro in a slightly different aesthetic style, it would have been great. But instead, they were like, we're going to make three very long Hobbit movies, elongating a lot of canon that wasn't necessary. It's going to be in the same aesthetic as the Lord of the Rings movies, with some overlap characters for nostalgia value. But like, the stakes are far, far lower and more meaningless, (laughs) which is the same thing as Fantastic Beasts, because it's like you're recreating like very similar visuals and like general tone to the harry potter films but like it's not a high stake story at all but the, i don't even think like those visuals were not the same it was like garish and terrible i did not see those movies deliberately but i was forced to watch the trailers and i was just like oh no he also shot it peter jackson shot it in the like um super fast frame rate i can't remember the exact number which like makes everything look like hyper real and like the colors were crazy and i was just like i don't need oh, this i meant, I meant more just sort of like the like design because it's very clearly yeah. like the same world and stuff like i know that yeah. like it's visually different because it's more it, like you know they're adapting a children's book and stuff even though they put a bunch of battles in there as well um but yeah no i remember all about the kind of fast frame rate like reality tv cinematography because everyone was complaining about feeling nauseous in the cinema yes <laughs> Well, this is also the thing, we were talking about this yesterday, about sort of deciding not to consume certain pieces of, like, pop culture, and then if even if you do, just deciding, like, it doesn't matter. It's like, I just decided not to read this, because I was like, I don't give a shit. Everyone hates it. I mean, again, this is, like, our circle of people. Like, I'm sure a bunch of people liked it. Um, and, like, I never watched the, any of those Hobbit movies, because I thought they looked terrible, and most of the people I sort of like read reviews by or whatever um, really didn't like them. And the Lord of the Rings movies were like my favorite thing when I was in middle school. Like I love them so much. I still love them. I think they're great films. And I was like, I don't need to sully that with this. Like I don't, you know, and with this, it's more just apathy. Like I don't care. But even if I had, like, it's, it's fine. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, I, there were some parts of this book where I was actually laughing out loud, but in the end, 
although I think it's like not great and it doesn't live up to like the legacy of Harry Potter I don't like I, I don't really subscribe to the idea that it's going to ruin anything like it doesn't particularly yeah. spoil anything and I already kind of wasn't super into the epilogue at the end of the seventh book so I find it very easy to ignore you know it's a tacked on thing at the end of something that ended like 10 years ago yeah whatever <laughs> like probably people are not going to be reading this so much in 20 years yeah it's i mean it's, it's kind of yeah like, people it's not going to be the part that gets remembered no if you liked it that's great congratulations if you don't like but i feel like this is a good lesson in general about culture it's you know enjoy what you enjoy and otherwise you know the good stuff survives generally and the bad stuff often does not history is pretty good that way i have yeah I have and found. like also this play none of it is bad enough for me to be like oh my god what a disgrace i'm just like it's somewhat disappointing it's like yeah. not really on the same level as when the captain america comics were like he's a nazi now which is like on a political level i definitely understand the the objection even though it's also extremely easy for me to ignore because I'm like, well, I'll just read the other ones. But like at yeah. the same time, you've made a very poor decision and should be heavily criticized for it in public. Yes. <laughs> yes. This just sounds dumb. Yeah. You Trolley know? witch, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, what an adventure. Yeah, thanks for listening, friends, to this uh, special. Kind of meant to be a mini-episode, but we did end up talking for quite a while, but we will be back with our regularly scheduled broadcast for Suicide Squad in a few days. Yeah. As always, you can check us out on social media, uh, Overinvested Pod on Twitter, Overinvested Podcast Tumblr, OverinvestedPodcast.com for our website. And if you like us, please uh, review us on iTunes or whichever podcasting service you use.